0: 1 Corinthians 16, one through 4. It says now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come to you, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approved and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Paul just got done. I mean, this is like typical Paul shifting gears here. 1 Corinthians is is answering a bunch of questions that the Corinthians had already sent to Paul. I mean, if you could write a letter to Paul, if you could email Paul about tons of questions, how many things going on in your life you'd really like to know what the Lord would want? Well, this church did too. They're like, so what do we do about this and this and this? And what do we do about this collection was one of them. And so... But right before that, in chapter 15, what do we just talk about? The resurrection of the dead. And so we have this amazing passage that Paul's saying, this is not it. Your bodies are, are not going to be the way they are. They're going to be raised in corruption, raised incorruptible. They're going to be raised in, we already talked about that, right? And you guys got all mad at me because I was talking about how old we are and starting to look and, and how we're going to be raised different, right? Amen? We're like, yeah, and so, and Paul just ends this beautiful section. He goes, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody's just like, yes. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, concerning the collection... He just shifts gears. And and it's very subtle, but any, let's just use the big old Christianese words here, any orthodoxy we have, any right teaching has to end up in orthopraxy is the word, in right living. Any ivory tower thoughts we have about the resurrection and all these things, it actually has to come down and actually be lived out in here today, and that's what Paul is so good at doing. He's always taking these lofty thoughts, and no matter what he's teaching or what he's doing, he's always speaking about these eternal things in current circumstances and how they all apply together, and Paul is just saying to this church, you know what, in light of the resurrection, I want you to continue in the good works, and he goes, by the way, I want to talk to you about a specific good work that I want you to continue in, and it is giving your money, your resources, to the poor people in Jerusalem, your brothers and sisters who are suffering. That's specifically what he's talking about. How many of you have experienced poverty growing up? When you were young, I mean real poverty. You didn't have anything. I mean, you were struggling to eat day to day. You didn't know where food was coming. Some of us have hit those from times but time to time, but in America it's usually it's pretty far few and far between. Um, there's there's an ability to get food for the most part but in the ancient world poverty just hit everything when jesus was praying give us this day our daily bread and he's teaching us how to pray that's not a figure of speech he's saying he's teaching them to trust the lord daily for their their bread in their mouth lord give us today our daily bread and he's teaching this church to trust day after day after day. And now Paul, he's sitting here, and there's a church in Jerusalem. Their are brothers and sisters who are suffering in extreme poverty. And the response that Paul is, is teaching this church is that it is their responsibility in Christ to take care of their brothers and sisters in Christ. Flat out. There's no way around it. And we know that in our culture, in our time, how many times we start talking about money, it's like, I need to have a new Learjet. You know, that's basically what's going on. You know, I need to have a new Lear minivan. You know, I mean, whatever it is. <laughs> but that's, that's kind of where we go. We go, Oh, gosh, they're talking about money. And you know that one of the benefits of me teaching verse by verse, I know some, some disagree maybe with how that could go about, and I understand that. But one of the benefits about teaching verse by verse through the scriptures is You're teaching about what's being taught. And so as often as money is brought up is as often as we get to talk about it. Amen? And so therefore, here it is, and here we go. And so poverty was happening among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. Now, just a little historical background. Jerusalem was probably really overpopulated. That's what a lot of the historians were talking about. Have you ever been to an extremely overpopulated city, part of a city? It's pretty amazing what happens. It was a religious center. Everybody came there for all the festivals, and sometimes people didn't leave. It was just things were happening, and they stayed there. Pentecost was an example. Pentecost happened when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. Believers, what happened? Did they go back? Not necessarily at first. They all hung out together, and the reason would be why, because that's the church. That was the only church, and they all hung out. And we see these... Situations arising within the church. How does our faith play out to our fellow man? Well, you've got to love one another. How does that look? We've well, got to take care of one another. And so, one of the main concerns right off the bat was taking care of the widows in the early church, correct? And Paul lays down some guidelines about how to do that later on because there were some abuses, but right away they had to take care of that. And so, you see, there was a tremendous need for uh, widows to be taken care of in the early church. We've seen other examples of people bring, selling their property and taking their money and bringing it to, and laying it at the apostles' feet to distribute to those in need throughout the church. Why were they doing that? And we, and we see examples of people who did that for wrong reasons and they got smoked on the spot, you know, Ananias and Sapphira. But we see Barnabas who did that who took his land and, and sold it and brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed. Uh, there was a, an actual outflowing, a welfare that was happening from the church to the people. And it was coming from the people to the people. Now, you can imagine, there's only so much land, so much property, so many things that can be sold. And as time goes on, what happens? <clears throat> there's less things to happen and people start suffering. So another thing that happened, persecution broke out very early within the church. Remember after Stephen was one of those uh, chosen to take care of the widows? Well, they didn't like him very much. And he started preaching the gospel to them, and he got he was killed, was he not? And it says, In that day, a great persecution started out against the church of God. And Saul, chapter 8, sought out to destroy the church. And he would go from house to house pulling out the people who followed the way, jailing them, separating people from families, yanking them out, throwing them into prison. What do you think the result was within the Christian church? Well, people scattered. There wasn't as much resources. There were also people who now were unable to work and they had family to take care of. that couldn't happen. Jobs. There was a high amount of hatred, towards the church and so guess what the general population was not going to give jobs towards christians in fear of wow they're getting persecuted let's not even touch them with the 10-foot pole we have some of that going on in our our culture in certain ways and so there was persecution that broke out and who knows how effect this affected their ability to work and to buy and sell imagine this this happened to you imagine if this was us Lastly, there was a severe famine about this time. If you remember Acts 11.28, a guy named Agabus came down from Jerusalem and he started prophesying that there would be a great famine in all of the Roman Empire. And we find out that it says in little brackets, the person writing this afterwards said, yeah, it happened in the the reign of Claudius. And we go, okay, that's neat. And then you find from extra-biblical writings like Josephus, when he's talking about Helena, who was the queen of somewhere in... Uh, or the mother of, a, of the king of something northern Syria, came down to Jerusalem. She saw the great poverty. She spent a lot of money, to, you know, sent ships to Alexandria, brought it back because the people were dying everywhere. When was that happening? Right here. And so there was great, great poverty, great strife within the church. People were not able to eat, were not being able to be taken care of. And Paul... <coughs> was stirred up to be able to love and to help them and support them so why was Paul stirred up why did he stir up all the churches if I came to you and said listen each of you give something when we meet together on Sunday morning because there is a need there's something there's a kingdom principle that has to be happened where do our minds instantly go You know, I mean, wherever it is, I don't know about you, but what's the motive behind this and all this stuff? So Paul is working with this church to try to stir them up. Why do we give? Who do we give? How do we give to? And he starts to answer this all in these questions. And by the way, this is not all inclusive on how we give. This is just dealing with uh, people within, (coughs) who are hurting within the church. So Paul stirs up the churches to help support them. The church in Jerusalem asked Paul to remember them, if you remember that. Why was he stirred up? If you remember when he went to uh, Jerusalem, he was talking to the head honchos there, uh, Peter, James, and was it John? I think, yeah, and, and in Jerusalem. And, and they heard of all the great things that he had done, that God had done through him. In the Gentiles, he said, yeah, you know what, we agree, you go hang out with the Gentiles, you minister the gospel to them We'll stay, and we'll minister to the Jews. The only thing we ask of you is that you remember the poor. So James is saying, just remember us. We're having a hard time up here. Remember us as you're going out. And in Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 10, that's the very thing I was eager to do. So he was stirring up the church because he was commissioned by the church to do that. He was He knew it was the right thing to do. But also... That's not the only reason. Later on, when Paul was in Corinth picking up the offering, he actually would go later to get the offering, he was writing a letter to the Romans there in Corinth. And in Romans 15, 23-33, he says, he's writing to the Romans, he's in Corinth, he's picking up the stuff. He says, but now there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I get to Spain. <clears throat> I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. So he's talking about to these Romans and saying, I just long to be with you. I'm going to be there. But he goes, now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there for Macedonia and Archaea. That's that section of Greece and the place right of Macedonia is right above where Corinth would be. Uh, they they were pleased to make contributions for the poor among the lord's people in jerusalem they were pleased to do it and indeed they owed it to him (laughs) it's like what paul goes yeah they they owe they owed these people they owed these people and he makes a point this is a spiritual principle For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. This is a spiritual principle. If you are sown to spiritually, you are to respond carnally, physically. That's the way it works. That's a spiritual principle in the Bible. How many of you like that? This is what Paul's talking about over and over, and he uses it in an example of the Jews, and he uses it an example of taking care of the leadership in the church, and Jesus uses it. There's tons of different things going on. It is the expression of our faith. When, when, and, and what happens is, what's so great about the Jews? We owe it to the Jews. We don't want to get into Romans 8, 9, 10, and all that stuff right now, but the point that he's talking about is, where did the Messiah come from? He was Jewish. Where did, salvation is of the Jews. Salvation first came to the Jews. That is our spiritual heritage, and because, and he makes this case later in Romans, that because they rejected the Messiah, that actually the gospel came to you Gentiles, all you Gentiles, right? And he's saying, you owe it to them. And not only that, I think he's seeking spiritually that they are the ones who actually did receive, were the remnant, and said, yes, Lord, we receive you. And because of their faith, they received, and the gospel of Jesus was spread and spread and spread, and now they were reaping the benefits of their original faith. And he's, Paul's saying, look, I, this is all connected back to these people, and they're suffering greatly for the Lord. We owe it to them. Now, is that the pure motivation for us doing something? Because someone told us to do it, because we owe it. How, many is that, how does that motivate you? How, how many does that motivate you guys at all? Parents with children? Sometimes you just got to lay down the law, right? I mean, obviously, but I'm... each of you are to blah, 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 right? and it's been told and you owe it to the Lord to do it and whatever you want to use it doesn't work very well it's the right thing but it didn't work but he says you owe it spiritual principle if you receive spiritually you're to sow back materially you're to respond materially and he, again, as I said, this is the same reason for supporting spiritual leaders. You can read about that in First Timothy 5. The elders who direct the affairs of the church are well worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the workers deserve his wages. And so that principle, and, and you're sitting here and going, Well, that's self-serving. I mean, obviously I'm talking about that, and it's kind of like uh, awkward. It's the word. And so we just lay it in front of you. The same principle applies to why you love each other. Same principles, why you take care of spiritual things. It's the same thing all across. So he's working from a principle as to why he's asking these people to, live, to give. You understand he's just not saying take care of stuff. It's because of a deeper thing, which we're getting to. The reason behind Paul stirring up the church to support the church in Jerusalem was what? Love. 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 That is why he did it. He was in love with God. He was in communion with the Father. He looked into his face every day in a relationship. He was praying. His life was wrapped up in him. And the things that pleased the Father, he longed to live out in his life with his fellow man. He longed to do it. We've been talking about this as elders, and we'll talk about it a little bit more with you. But one of the pictures I've been seeing is that we exist to glorify God. And that happens as we focus on the Father through the person of Jesus Christ. As we focus on the person of Jesus Christ, we see who the Father is. We see how his kingdom is. We see his love, his wrath. We see his forgiveness. We see all these things. And as we behold his glory... As we're looking at him, and, and, and the light shines down on us, people can't help but to see the reflection of who he is. And uh, John Piper, who's written an awesome book called Desiring God, uh, you know has a has an analogy of a forty. We're a create, we are created at a forty five degree angle, and the way it looks is is God's glory comes down and shines and hits off us, and we reflect him. And that's what being created in the image of God is all about. Now, the problem is we got this situation going on. The glory, the glory comes down and shines upon us, and we look down the ground and go, ooh, isn't that glorious? Look at that shadow. Look at that, look at me. And it is quite glorious, don't get me wrong. But it's self centered. It's self reflecting, self motivated. My kingdom, not his and we're not getting all of what we're supposed to be, and so when we're in right relationship with the Lord, we have our eyes upon the Father. When we have that abiding thing, the, most, the deepest thing that Paul had, he just lived for Christ. When he lived like that, the glory shone off him, and he couldn't help talk to a church and say, why do you do this? Because it pleases your Father's heart. And how do we know that? Because that is how Jesus lived. And you, as his redeemed are like kids brought into his kingdom, learning how to live in this new household that you've been adopted into, bought into by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he's teaching a church these things. And the reason, and it comes out subtly in 2 Corinthians chapter eight, says Paul sent an advance party to them in preparing this somewhat reluctant church. This is a year later, these guys still have not given up the goods, Right? and somewhat reluctant church for Paul's arrival, and he, he tell, he's going to send Titus there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23, it says, Ask for Titus. He is my partner and coworker among you. As for our other brothers. They are representatives of the church, and an honor to Christ, So these people that are coming with Titus. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love. Show them the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. They can see the reflection. Your giving is going to shine the proof. It's the proof of your love for Jesus Christ. We're not talking amount. We're not talking all that stuff. We're talking motive. And this is what he's talking about. Proof of love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. It's another 3.16. Here we go. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, this is a heart issue, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and truth. And the first Corinthians were all about oratory. They were all about all the outward expressions of things, but actually Flowing out was a real hard for thing thing to do. How many of you struggle with that in your walk with the Lord? How many feel a great gap between uh, what you say and what you proclaim and what you what you actually do? Chief of sinners, right here. Paul's saying that the way that we you're going to display your love, church, is you're actually going to do it. You're going to give. You're gonna give flat out. So I don't. I hope that kind of clears up a little bit of why he's doing what he's doing. So he's going straight to it now about the collection, and it's for the Lord's people. Part of the reason why we gather, we don't have extreme poverty in this room, but we do have brothers and sisters who are hurting and need things and we have to address that as a church on how to do that better but we have reached out in the past and we'll continue to reach out to the poor yes in the church and obviously we're to be we're to be salt and light to the world right but there are ways that we invest we invest spiritually into the lives of brothers and sisters there's poverty of spirit and there's also material poverty and we want to take care of those things and so that's part of the reason why we give, but it's to the, it's the further the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how did Jesus further the gospel of Jesus Christ? He met people's needs spiritually and physically. They were just hand in hand all the time. All the time. So we, as a church, need to pray and focus individually and as a, as a, as a corporate body to focus how we do ministry more and more. How do we live this life out on how Jesus did it? He is our model. He shows us how the Father does it in his house, and we, and we mimic. That is our job, to be little Christians, little Christ. And when they look at Jesus, they go, you just like that Jesus guy. That's why they got their name, Christians, because they kept doing what he did. they you just like that guy, aren't you? Kind of, Yeah, I just love like him and do like him. And that's what we want to be seen as. So he says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatians churches to do. So this isn't something that is just, just in... In, in Corinth, he's not nailing one church on things. This is something that's happening as a movement within the churches. It is our role, our responsibility to take care of other bl- brothers and sisters. Now, how does that happen? Paul has, he describes one way of it working here. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have, have to be made. And so... The question is when is this to take place? Paul lays it down pretty pretty clear. This collection that he's talking about takes place on the first day of every week. Now, why is he talking about the first day of every week? What is the first day of every week? Sunday. Why? Very interesting. We see that Jesus rose again on the third day, which well, on the third day, which is not the the third day from when he died, which what, he rose again on the first day, which is Sunday. He rose on a Sunday. Very interesting. He, appe- You know, the, the road to Emmaus, those guys, what happened when he appeared to them? What day was that? That was the day of the resurrection. It was the first day. We get some time later. All of a sudden, they appear in, uh, you know, Jesus appears to them where they're all hanging out. And what happens? It's the first day. So Jesus, and he starts breaking bread with them we see this pattern over and over. When is Pentecost? It falls on a Sunday every year for 4,000 years. It falls on a Sunday. When was the church born? On a Sunday. Very interesting. And so we see this pattern. Remember Eutychus? Remember he's hanging out there? Paul is talking forever and ever. Pastors. And he falls out the third story window. What day of the week was that? Not that Eutychus was thinking about it, but... It was on the first day of the week when they were all gathered together. Something had happened in the life of the church to where that impacted them. Jesus set the model. He didn't command it. it. didn't. There's no command here, but there was a pattern within the church that they met on the first day, the day that he rose again. And we see it all throughout the New Testament. Did they also attend the Jewish church, attend synagogue? Yeah, of course they did. And so the question is, well, well, no, that's unacceptable. You know, you can only worship on one day or the other. Listen, I think every day is the Lord's day. I think every day is the Lord's day. And if you choose to worship on the Saturday morning, praise God, enjoy it, praise the Lord. But guess what? Sunday's a very special day as well in the heart of the Lord. He wouldn't have had all these incredible things happen on these days and shown up on these days if, if he didn't think so. But they were meeting on the first day, and the idea is... When was this offering to take place? When they got together as a church. When did they get together on the first day? That's what was happening in this church. On the first day of every week. How often was this collection to to take place? Every week. So it was to be on the first day. It was when they gathered together corporately. Secondly, how often? Weekly. Weekly, they took a collection. Now, real quickly, who's to be involved with that? What is the word? Each one. You know what? I'm trying to find a way out for you guys, so I was looking in the Greek, and I found out that it actually means each one. It's a bummer. No, it's not. It's glorious. So it means each one. Now, let me, let's get down to practical. What is he saying? He's saying when the church gathers together, there is to be an offering. And it's to be made with the people and the work of the Lord in mind. And obviously, this is not the full scope of what he's talking about in giving. We'll see that in other places where he's talking about other things. Like I said, taking care of the pastors and all that other great stuff. I'm not going to get into that. But there was a time set aside specifically for this church to give as an act of worship, as a show of love. And each one was to be involved. Each one. I don't know about you, but I have had a sporadic Christian walk. Any of you? In my prayer life, in my devotional life, in my giving life, in my and and I read that each one and I go, I know I should do it. I've been told to do it, but there's just an inconsistency in my life. Anyone? <laughs> and you have uh, react in guilt and then you start going, Well, and you start just doing all these things and you start throwing these excuses out. What does it all come back to? It all comes back to you and Jesus you looking into your father's eyes and saying, I'm in each one. What does that mean, Lord? And Paul lays out, well, how much am I supposed to give? Because we like to know how much, right? And the answer is $50,000 right now. That's clear in the Greek. Anyone? Anyone? Oh, no, no, i got another pastor here. I can't get it over yet. <laughs> now, each one of you should set aside how much a sum of money, what does that look like in keeping with your income. So what happens if you don't make very much money at all? Are you exempt from giving? No, each one. But it's in keeping with your income. If you have a lot, you would give more than someone who wouldn't. If you don't, you would, give, you would give less. Now, I want to go to the heart of this because I don't want to lay down a law. People will say, you're to give a tenth. And while there can be many great biblical examples of that, I see the tenth as a tax. That's kind of how I view it in the Old Testament. A tenth is a tax. Now, if that's your way of giving, I don't want to stop. I, I have given a tenth because I don't know where to go. And, and I just go, okay, well, a tenth is a starting place for me. And God, if you want more, you'll let me know. And I feel like, okay, I've legally made it. You know, I and I just don't want to have that relationship with the Lord. I want to have a relationship that says, Lord, does this glorify you? Does this please your heart? Does this make you happy? Because that's what I long to do. I don't long to just check off my chore list and say, see you later. This has all been given to me by you. and So how does that work out in our lives? And I know we have only got four minutes for me to tell you all these wonderful things. Keep going. Yeah, <laughs> but seriously. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter eight. And he's talking to them again later on, right? So he's, Paul is definitely following up. And you just have to bear with me. I'm going to read a little bit here. Chapter 8, starting in verse 6. So so we urge Titus, just as he he had earlier, had made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Notice he's talking about this giving as an act of grace. Wow, have you ever thought about you giving as an act of grace? In other words, it's a way to show God's grace? That's wild. But since you excel in everything, now he's saying, hey, look how awesome you guys are in all these areas. Since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. You're great in all these other areas. You guys are orators and all this stuff. Why don't you, this is something you guys work on. Excel in the grace of giving. Be givers. I'm not commanding you. Write that down circle that. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. What is this about? This is about love. I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others, and he's talking about those in Macedonia who were totally impoverished and gave more than they should have. Why? Because the love of Christ compelled them, and so Paul is saying, look at what they did. You People who are struggling with self-centeredness in, Thess- uh, in uh, Corinth. Come on. Look at these brothers and sisters. He's, he's threading the needle here, right? It's kind of not giving them law, but giving them a hard time. He's trying to pull it out of them, is he not? It's hard to navigate. You know, it's tricky, even what I'm doing right now. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. And here's the example, spiritual principle, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That is the big ticket. Jesus is our example. He who was pretty darn rich. Would you not say? King of kings, Lord of lords before the foundation of the earth and yet he gave up. He condescended and became nothing. Nothing. Had nothing. Didn't look like anything. Poverty stricken. Didn't have a house. Walked around and he, he gave it all up. Even to his very life. So that you, sitting right here, so that I, would have his riches. What compels someone to do that? Love. Parents, why do you work so hard for your children? Why do you do these things? Love. I pray. And here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, it's been a whole year, you are the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched with your completion of it according to your means. According to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what does not have. It's to what God's given you, you are to give out of, right? And he goes on, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. And that word equality carries so much weird weight in this culture. He's just saying you can't see your brother and sister who are totally starving and you, have air, and you have luxuries and you're sipping on your Starbucks. Come on, lose the Starbucks, help your brothers and sisters out. I'm trying to put it in a practical thing, you know what I'm saying? And whatever the Lord, however the Lord would work that out, you can still have Starbucks. You know what I'm talking about. Not if the Lord says you can't, right? That's the thing. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. What does that sound like? That sounds like a body, doesn't it? The goal is equality, as it is written. The one who gathers much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have little. Flip over to chapter 9, verse 6, and here we go. Final spiritual principle. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also, what? reap sparingly how many of you if you've ever seeded anything by hand yeah, i know you guys put one seed in the ground because seed is expensive but in those days they didn't have cedars and all that stuff what did they do they took and they threw a lot of seed everywhere they were just throwing it everywhere and we know from the parables some of it happened some of it didn't but they sowed liberally why did they sow liberally so that they would gain liberally that's the principle here Whoever sows sparingly is also going to reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give. Here's the principle. How much? Is it a tithe? Is it, a, is it, is it all? Is it half? Is it nothing? Is it, each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give. So what's in your heart? <laughs> That's the question. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A hilarious giver is the word in the Greek. And God is able, and here's the part, why wouldn't I do that out of fear or out of covetousness or out of something I want to have? So there could be greed, there could be all these motives in there. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound. Every good work, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. We miss out greatly when we hold on to what God has given us. And God has called to us invest in his kingdom, and part of that is right here at CCF. How does that work out? When we gather on the first day, we give. How often do we give? I give whenever I get paid. I know it's weird. I get tithed from you guys. I get back. It's funny. Well, what about other situations? Well, Christina and I, have. we always have this, this standing thing that if we some, need, see someone in need, we don't need to confer about it so much as go take care of it. And that means that we have a little bit set aside for helping people. It's part of our life. We expect to do this through the church as a biblical example with laying it at the apostles' feet, so to speak. I'm not an apostle. But that's the model the Lord gives us. There's there's an indirect giving and through the leadership of the church, it's dispersed. We help people. Yes, we do. Many of you have been touched in those situations. But there's also the direct giving where my heart is looking for opportunities to bless my brothers and sisters. If I'm listening to someone and they are feeding me consistently spiritually, guess what? I have to respond by meeting materially. That's what happens. That's how my heart is compelled. There are people who are doing the work of the ministry in this valley. There are people and missionaries and all those things. And this is not a situation to say, you know, us only. This is... Biblical, we give on Sunday mornings. We give of what is the Lord's put in our hearts. But above and beyond that, whatever the Lord says, however he says, manage our lives in a way that says, I want to be a giver. And what does Jesus say? You give and you will not be able to contain what I've given you because you are a giver and that is how I work. And it just, it frees us. It frees us so deeply when we give. And I know it sounds self-serving. It, it, it does, because I'm a pastor, and that is why Paul said, I don't take anything from you. And Paul had the luxury of not having a wife and kids. But he said, freely, I do this so that you know I'm all about the gospel. Give and let your hearts be free. And as we give, as Jesus gives, we find an incredible blessing and the love of Christ flows. It's just one part of how we follow Jesus and honor and glorify him, amen? And guess what this is going to do in closing? This is going to challenge us about what we're doing, and it's supposed to. And it's not supposed to challenge you according to what Matt wants you to do. You just open the word, you start reading how Jesus lived, the apostles lived, start reading what they start saying about this, and you go... Father, what brings you glory? What pleases your heart? And you just ask him, and then you start moving, and you start giving, and you find out, I tell you what, I just, I know, but, I can't count the number of times to where God has given me something, and I had just given something, and has that ever happened to you? And often, you're just going, you're playing a hot potato with the things of God. And it's just miracles happen. And I'm not even, it's just, it's just amazing. As you're just giving and you see a need and you just go, you know what? I'm gonna meet that need. And you step out and meet that need and all of a sudden, someone dropped an envelope in a mailbox and you're going, and it was for the same amount and you just give away. Tell me God is not real. Tell me God does not want to encourage that in my life and in your life to trust him, and to not hold on to things that are going away, but to invest in the kingdom. Pray about it. Seek the Lord. Glorify him in all things. And again, I'm looking forward to doing more of this with you. You know, I just got an email about the gospel for Asia stuff that we're we were so blessed to you guys you did two wells. We talked about putting one well in Asia last year so that a church can come together and, and it would be put next to a we, we, we put it right next to a, a church or a bible school or whatever it was, and it was so the untouchables could come and have water. And we were like, Oh, I don't know if we'll do one. We did two. Whoops. Lord, help us with our well. wish we could just do that one here, you know. It's like, maybe Asia will help us out over here, you know. like They're like, man, this church just... Give. Just give. It's funny. As we gave that away, we wasn't it within Marcus? How, how close was that, that we got a grant for $20,000? No coincidence. We go ahead and provide two wells for a foreign... Uh, you know, for people we don't even know, we will never see, not know what's happened. But the love of Christ compelled you guys, and what happened is our church got a grant immediately for twenty thousand dollars right after that happened to help take care of engineering costs for our things. What is God teaching us? I got you. Just connect with me, love deeply, amen. So it starts here. It starts here. Who who's in need? Who has something they need or something they can give. And this is how we look at the body of Christ. How can I give? How can I be a giver? I want to be a giver, not a consumer. And by the way, part of being in the body is receiving too, isn't it? Some of you need to work on that. Anyone else? You have a lot of great givers in this body. You are amazing people. By the way, I don't even know what happens with the finances. I just want you to know. I just know, like, what the bottom line was. I don't know who does what or any of that. That's none of my business. Praise God, amen? So I just want you to know that I'm with you. Lord God, we want to give you glory in all this. Teach us, Lord, more and more in every area of our lives to be consistent and not emotional (laughs) in these things that are yours. Help us to be prepared to give regularly to you and your work, that it wouldn't be an afterthought, but it would be the first thing, like the first day of the week, and that you would have the first and the best and the most sweetest of what we've done and what we have. And Lord, with that, you have our hearts. And then with the rest, whatever you want. Lord, bless this church as we bless others and bless your name. Amen.